0: 1 Kings, chapter 22, we come to the very last section, verses 41 to 53. For those of you who are interested in these things, it's the 40th sermon in 1 Kings. We complete that this evening. I propose to continue on into 2 Kings as opportunity arises beginning next Sunday evening. Let's hear the word of God. Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shuhi. And he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. Also, Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, the might that he showed and how he made war, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And the rest of the perverted persons who remained in the days of his father Asa, he banished from the land. There then was no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold, but they never sailed, for the ships were wrecked at Azion geba Then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat would not. And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoram his son reigned in his place. Azziah the son of Ahab became king over Israel in Samaria in the seventeenth year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father. And in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. For he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger, according to all that his father had done. Let's pray. Lord, we pray once again for the help of your Holy Spirit You have given us your word to make us wise unto salvation in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would bring your word to bear upon our lives once again this evening in order that we might walk in the ways of godliness and turn away from the way of evil. Lord, help us Then this night we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. There is really no break between one Kings and two Kings. But it is a convenient point for us to sort of assess where we have come through one Kings. Helpful to see where we are and where events have brought us. First, reading through verses 41 to 53, I must admit, I thought, what am I going to draw out of this? I left it because there was too much for us to cover from last week. It seems pretty dull after the dramatic events with Elijah on Mount Carmel, after the antics of Zedekiah and his cow horns, after the tragic events on the battlefield at Ramoth Gilead. When Ahab died and God was vindicated and his prophets, Micaiah and Elijah and the unnamed prophet earlier were also vindicated, proving that Elijah and Micaiah were true prophets of the Lord and Zedekiah was a false prophet. What you have here are ten verses about Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, who appeared on the scene only in chapter 22. In chapter, 20, yes, chapter 22, only here, and he almost died on the battlefield. You remember how Ahab disguised himself and said, You, you, go, you go on to battle, Jehoshaphat, in your robes, I'm going to disguise myself. And the king of Israel went after who he thought was Ahab. And then there are three verses, 51 to 53, on Ahaziah, who replaced his father Ahab. On the throne of Israel. And the first reading through is a fairly stock summary of their reigns. But stand back and realise we have come a long way. The book of Kings began with Solomon and the glory of his kingdom. One Kings covers a period of approximately 100 years. And many changes have taken place. In 1 Kings chapter 4, the beginning of Solomon's reign, we read in a number of places how God blessed that nation. They were as numerous as the sand on the seashore in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing, we are told in 1 Kings 4 verse 20. Later on we are told in verse 24, there was peace on every side. And they dwelt safely, each man under his vine, and under his fig tree, which is a picturesque way of saying they were happy, they were blessed, they were secure. There was one king, and one kingdom. Solomon was the king. There was the temple in Jerusalem that Solomon built, and God's name was there. They were a people separated unto the Lord. But as we've unfolded this book of 1 Kings, we've seen a number of dramatic changes. The kingdom has now been divided. There are ten tribes, now known as Israel, the northern kingdom. And Ahab and Ahaziah are the kings that we have been most recently concerned with. And they have turned away from true religion. And then there is Judah, the two tribes in the south. Jehoshaphat is now the king in Judah. He stands in the line of David. He is the true king. But Solomon's glory had long departed from the northern kingdom. You could say, picking up an earlier phrase, Ichabod, the glory has departed. Ichabod was written over it. But even in the south, in Judah, there is evidence of a decline and the departure. And I want to expound this passage under three headings this evening. I first of all want to consider the lamp that still shines in Judah. Then secondly, the approaching signs of darkness in Judah. And thirdly, the darkness that has overtaken Israel. Firstly then, the lamp that still shines in Judah. The last few chapters of 1 Kings that we've been considering have all been about Israel and about Ahab's house. 22 years of disaster for the northern kingdom. And we've heard nothing about Judah since chapter 15. And we're not going to hear much more about Judah until 2 Kings chapter 8. So we're still going to be focusing on Ahab and Ahab's house and its destruction. And we might have even forgotten who Asa was Jehoshaphat's father, and saying, who's Jehoshaphat? We we forget these things, and these names are not always familiar to us. But God has not forgotten. If we turn back to 1 Kings chapter 11, and verse 36, the prophet there, Ahijah, said that God's servant, verse 36, uh, David, will always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. God will not let the light go out in Judah, in Jerusalem. Jehoshaphat is that lamp. Jehoshaphat is that light. And verse 42 of our text this evening tells us that Jehoshaphat reigned in Jerusalem 25 years. His father had an even longer reign. Asa was uh, was 41 years king. And they were fundamentally good men who walked in the ways that God had prescribed for them. And compared to Israel, there is relative peace and prosperity in Judah. For while these two good men were kings, father and son and the Davidic line reigned, there were eight kings in the north, and between them, uh, between them, Asa and Jehoshaphat saw the houses of Jeroboam disappear off the map, Basha disappear off the map, and now Ahab is in the process of disappearing. God had judged those wicked kings and their dynasties and removed, and was in the process of removing this third one. There were wars, there were changes in the royal family, there was apostasy, there was a prophetic confrontation by men like Elijah and others. Now you can read a great deal more about Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles, chapter 17 to 20. Here in verses 41 to 50, you have just a summary, but it is clear the lamp still shines in Judah. In some respects, it shines very brightly. Look in verse 43. He walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, that is a stock phrase for saying this man fundamentally was faithful to the Lord. He was loyal to the Lord. His father had set the pattern and the example and Jehoshaphat trained up in that way. He walked in that way. Both of them did what was right. Neither of them turned aside. The one blemish in Asa and also in Jehoshaphat they did not remove the high places. Worship was not just restricted to the temple in Jerusalem. But people were worshipping the Lord. They were not worshipping Baal. The high places does not signify they were worshipping Baal. These were just other places that had been set up without divine warrant. And again in verse 46. Jehoshaphat had something of the bold reforming spirit of his father. He had removed These perverted persons who remained in the days of his father Asa. He banished them from the land. Asa was marked by a similar kind of spirit. He had removed even his grandmother because of her obscene idolatry. He had removed the the idols that his own father had introduced. And he had banished the perverted persons from the land. But there were still some remaining, some persistent. And Jehoshaphat continued that policy. He wanted to maintain purity of the people and the worship of God. Now it is not popular today. It is hardly acceptable in some circles to condemn homosexual practice. But these perverted persons were sodomites. They were male cult prostitutes. Involved in the worship. And he banished them because it was a pagan practice. He abolished it. He drove them out of the land according to the law of God. And if we were to return to the turn to the passages in Second Chronicles seventy to twenty, this kind of picture of Jehoshaphat would only be confirmed. He walked in the ways of his father David. He did not seek the baals. we are told in chapter 17 and verse 3. He sought the God of his father. He walked in his commandments, not according to the Acts of Israel, the northern neighbors. He didn't copy them. He would have nothing to do with that kind of Baal worship. His heart, we are told, took delight in the ways of the Lord. The Lord established the kingdom in his hand. So you can see, I think we are justified in saying the lamp is shining brightly in Jerusalem. Very different to Israel, as we will see later. All then looks as if it is well, according to what we have said thus far. But last week, did you not have a question in your mind about his involvement with Ahab? How did he get entangled up with this man? This man was not a good man. He was a wicked man. He was a Baal worshipper. Jehoshaphat and Nibi lost his life on the battlefield. Now it's quite true he didn't swallow Zedekiah's lies. But what was Jehoshaphat doing there in the first place? Ought he to have been there? Ought he to have entered into an alliance with Ahab and the house of Ahab? We read in verse 44, and Jehoshaphat, also Jehoshaphat, made peace with the king of Israel. I want then secondly to look at the approaching signs of darkness in Judah. Verse 44 is significant. Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. That should raise your eyebrows and say, is that what it actually says? Did he do that? Why would he make peace with such a wicked man? There is another clue in verses 47 to verse 50, uh, 49 and 50. Here there are echoes of Solomon's glory. You remember Solomon's kingdom, gold was so common, they didn't bother to weigh it. And here is Jehoshaphat. He makes merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold. But they never sailed. Somehow they were wrecked in the harbour in Ezion-Geber. And then Ahaziah, he appears on the scene. Again, why does he appear on the scene? And he says, let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat would not... And that's all we are told there. Ahaziah, though, is involved. And though Jehoshaphat denied him a slice of the pie, as it were, because this was a money-making venture, these were merchant vessels, you have a distinct feeling that something is not quite right here. What is this man doing, having all these dealings with Ahab and with Ahaziah? If we turn to Second Chronicles in chapter twenty and verses thirty five to thirty seven, we get a fuller picture. A prophet called Eliezer condemned the alliance with Ahaziah because of his wickedness, and tells Jehoshaphat to his fates, Your ships were wrecked because of this alliance. The Lord destroyed your works. He did not approve of this alliance, of this peace treaty that you have made. And there is further condemnation in the previous chapter of 2 Chronicles, in chapter 19. Because we read there that when Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safely to his house in Jerusalem, that is after the battle where Ahab had died, Jehu, the son of Hanani the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Nevertheless good things are found in you, in that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God." You see then, Jehoshaphat was not wise. There is far more in that statement in verse 44 than first meets the eye. Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Jehu the prophet confronted him and told him that was not something which God approved of. And then when he made this merchant fleet venture... And it was wrecked, he was explained fully and clearly to him that the law did not approve of this either. you see what had jehoshaphat done? yes he'd made a peace he'd made peace with the king of Israel but treaties in those days were often sealed with a marriage and he had married his son jehoram to the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel and her name was Athaliah. That tied the knot not only between between Jehoram and Athaliah but it tied the knot of this treaty. That's how they made peace. That's how they sealed the peace. Jehoram and Athaliah Jehoram eventually became king in the place of Jehoshaphat. They had a son. Now his name was also Ahaziah, but it wasn't the Ahaziah we're talking about here. It was another Ahaziah. And we are told that that man walked in the ways of Ahab. Not surprising if he had Jezebel as a mother. And when that son, Ahaziah, died prematurely, who seized the royal throne of Judah? Athaliah. Six years. Six years. And what did she do? She destroyed almost utterly and completely the entire royal line of David. Except for one, the youngest, Joash, who was hidden in the temple. Now, Jehoshaphat had died long before he saw the result of his peace treaty with Ahab. But you can see where his folly led him and the danger that it placed the nation of Judah. He sealed it with that marriage. But what he was actually doing, and that's why Jehu reproved him, and Eliezer reproved him, he said, you are helping the wicked. You are loving those, Jehoshaphat, who hate God. And it almost led to the light being put out in the land of Judah. I say, I doubt very much if Jehoshaphat realised the danger. But by his folly, darkness began to descend upon the nation of Judah. The lamp was growing dim. I would suggest to you, therefore, that there is something very important to learn from this example, this sad example of Jehoshaphat, who was fundamentally a faithful man, a good man. Now it is possible to be real, it is possible to be sincere, and to do many good things, and obey the Lord in much, and yet be undiscerning in one or two matters. As if faith and discernment got sort of left behind somewhere in this area. Jehoshaphat had what we might call a blind spot. He could not see, he could not discern. And although in many ways he loved the Lord, yet there was this glaring inconsistency exposed by the prophet. You loving someone who loves wickedness. You've allied yourself with them. Where is your love for the Lord in this particular area? Jehoshaphat, don't you see? You've been blind. You've been led astray. You've been inconsistent. You're prepared to love those who hate the Lord. It was a wrong move. He had compromised. And it almost cost him his life. But God spared him. But he was defective in his loyalty to the Lord. In one area of his life. And his public policy. His international treaties. Now you say, what's that got to do with me? What's that got to do with us as Christians? Well, the Corinthian church was plagued with the same kind of problem. Do you remember that passage in 2 Corinthians in chapter 6? Paul says to them, verse 11, We have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. He has the same boldness. He has this freedom. The same kind of thing that the prophets had with Jehoshaphat. And he says in verse 14, "...do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God." As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises beloved... Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Do you see the connection? Paul says, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And that doesn't only refer to marriage. The marriage of a Christian to someone who is not a believer. It extends across other areas of our lives, perhaps business relations, financial arrangements that we might make, allying ourselves with men and women who do not love the Lord Jesus Christ. When you see this example of Jehoshaphat, what sort of impact should it have upon us? Have you ever read the Scriptures and trembled? scared of what you read I would suggest that this is one of those passages once you begin to realise what Jehoshaphat was actually doing Jehoshaphat's folly and his blindness should scare us into prayerfulness and to seeking wise counsel in order that we might make wise decisions Praying, Lord, give me a pure, wise and discerning heart. Help me to be consistent, loving those who love you and not those who turn, who have turned away from you and are marked by wickedness. Jehoshaphat made friends with those who were wicked. And he entered into a formal contract with them. And it almost led to the light being extinguished in Judah. It may be that you have a brother, a sister, a wife, a husband. Maybe even your pastor who plays the part of a Jehu to you. Pointing out the blind spot. Now you cannot avoid dealings with men and women in this world. That is not what the passage is saying to us. What it is saying is do not become so entangled with them that you enter into those deals and arrangements with them that will bring you into a position of compromise. And blunt your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Weigh the awful consequences of Jehoshaphat's compromise with those who hated the Lord. And do not say to yourself, that would never happen to me. I'm above doing such a thing. Are we actually above such folly? Are we wise in every area of our lives? Do we have no flaws? Do we have no spiritual soft spots where we are vulnerable? Perhaps some of you can look back in your life and can say, The Lord delivered me from what would have been a terrible decision, it would have had very, very sad consequences. Often it is in the area of the person you marry, but as I say, it is not necessarily only limited to that. You see again, we've said it before, and we say it again and again, how much depends on our progress as Christians and our consistency as Christians by the things that we love and the things that we hate. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and strength And mind. That is what we are called to do. Jehoshaphat, many well have said that's what he set out to do. That's what he was, but he could not see that by entering into this alliance with Ahab and then Ahaziah, and even marrying his son to Athaliah, he could not see that that was compromise. He could not see that that was folly. He could not see until it was pointed out to him. You've actually put these people over against your love for God. I say sometimes a word from the scriptures sends a shudder. A shudder through us. And rightly so. In order to warn us from the ways of sin and compromise and bringing great disgrace and shame to our own lives and to perhaps even the church of Jesus Christ but uh, Jehoshaphat's folly and blindness is small compared to the folly the sad folly of Ahab's son Ahaziah thirdly let us look at the darkness that has overtaken Israel Verses 51 to 53. Ahaziah had only lived as king two years. Ahab had lived 22 years. But there is a sense in which Ichabod is already written over Israel. And it has been for many years, ever since Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, seized power from Rehoboam and separated the ten tribes from the twelve And introduced the bull worship in Bethel and Dan. But Ahab, Ahaziah's father had plunged Israel into spiritual darkness. A darkness that could be felt. Spiritually sensitive men like Elijah and Micaiah felt that darkness. And it produced in them a grief. And the sorrow and the zeal for the honour and glory of the one true and living God. Which is why they came and sent by God, spoke words of judgment against the house of Ahab. And Ahab's death is the beginning of the end of Ahab's house. And here with Ahaziah frames a picture of like father, like son. Ahaziah had seen the events in his father's reign. He would have known about Mount Carmel and how the prophets of Baal had been destroyed by Elijah. He would have known what happened on the battlefield at Ramoth Gilead. That's why he became king, because his father had died on the battlefield. Did he know about the pool of Samaria and the dogs licking up the blood? was in the chariots that had been washed out of Ahab's chariot, a fulfilment of the words of Elijah. That is perhaps more difficult to know. Whether he did or not, there is no indication that he had learned anything from what had happened to his father Ahab and his interaction with the prophets of God. And when we look at verse 52, we see a threefold wickedness of this man. I'm not sure that I know of any other passage, brief passage, brief word in the Bible that depicts the wickedness in such a succinct way. It's an indication of the real spiritual darkness that enveloped Israel. It not only says, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. That would have been bad enough, but look how it is explained. He walked in the way of his father. You remember what was said of Ahab in chapter 17? He did more wickedness than any of the kings before him. Ahaziah walked in that way. He continued in that wickedness. But then it says also, secondly, he walked in the way of his mother, Jezebel. Jezebel was a promoter of Baal. That's, she brought the whole thing in and Ahab built all these palaces and these temples for Baal and promoted the Baal worship. And he walked in those ways without any sorrow, without any question. And then it says also thirdly he walked in the ways of Jeroboam who made Israel to sin. Jeroboam was the one who sent the whole northern kingdom up on the wrong track with his bulls. In Bethel and Dan. And Ahaziah didn't condemn that. He turned a blind eye to all of that. And he promoted those ways. He walked in those ways. That was the pattern of his life. This was the way he conducted himself. This was the way he worshipped. This was the way he worked. The Lord God of Israel was sidelined in his reign as it was in Ahaz. The Lord God of Israel was neglected. He served Baal and worshipped him. We are told in fifty-three, verse 53. He turned a blind eye then to everything that Elijah and Micaiah had said to his father. Of course what we are seeing here is the kingdom of darkness, Satan. He is not mentioned of course. But he is the one who is behind falsehood. He is the one who is behind idol worship. He is the one who is behind the false prophets, Zedekiah and the other 400 who were supporting Ahab. But Ahaziah turned a blind eye to all. But God is not blind. God will not shrug his shoulders and act nonchalantly. We are told he provoked, verse 53, the Lord. God of Israel to anger, according to all that his father had done. The conduct of Ahaziah made things worse. It aggravated the situation. Here was the blatant defiance of this man. A deliberate choice. It was almost as if he was throwing down the gauntlet, challenging God to a duel. And it's a terrible way, it's a sad way to end part one of One Kings. A man face to face with God and he has provoked God to great anger. And chapter, two, uh, part two, Two Kings, it begins with God's judgment upon Ahaziah. He feels the heat of God's wrath. And you would not be surprised if Elijah appeared on the scene again. And he does. And he brings the judgment of God upon Ahaziah. This is a deep, dreadful darkness. This is a sad and tragic event. A kingdom under divine curse. A house that is being removed because of its great wickedness. Solomon had said in one of the Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 33 the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked but he blesses the house of the just. The curse of the Lord is upon the house of the wicked. That is what we are seeing here sadly in Ahaziah. Now before I close the evening A passage like this challenges us. We've already looked at the folly of Jehoshaphat. But if we look at the history of Jehoshaphat and the history of Ahaziah, and we see the lamp that shines brightly in Judah, although there are signs that it is dimming, basically Jehoshaphat is a good man, a faithful man. Ahaziah is the very opposite of that. He is a man engaged in gross wickedness. What a contrast. Who makes the difference between Jehoshaphat and Ahaziah? What makes the difference in our lives? Why are we not living? like Ahaziah or heading in the same sort of direction as Ahaziah. I believe in the light of what we have seen here this evening, we ought to admire and appreciate again what I will call the distinguishing love of God towards us. If we are not like Ahaziah, if we are not travelling in that direction that leads to judgment, that leads to Further and further, departing away from the ways of the Lord. If we are not walking in that way, what is the reason? The only reason is the distinguishing love of God towards us in Jesus Christ. Think of Abraham and Sarah. Where were they when God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees? Abraham was already well into his 70s. He was living in Ur, which was an idol serving city. They worshipped the sun and the moon and the stars. And God came and called him out and made himself known and became his God, turning Abraham away from his idolatry, away from worshipping the sun and the moon and the stars. And that's the only reason that Abraham served the living God. Where were you? Where was I when God called you through the gospel? What state were you in? You may have been brought up in a godly family. But you may have kicked against it for a while and turned away. And rejected it all. Some of you were caught up hopelessly in the world of ungodliness. Before God, as it were, set his hand upon you. And took you out as a burning brand from the fire. The God of this world had blinded you. You were in darkness, spiritual darkness, dead, blind, an enemy of God. Well, what if God left you in that state? What if God left you in your rebellion, in the hardness of your evil heart, and left you in your sin? That's why I say we are left to admire and wonder and marvel and appreciate the distinguishing love of God towards us in his gospel. Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, yes, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. But then he says, God who commanded light to shine out of darkness shone into our hearts. To what end? To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We were in darkness and then one day we heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. There may be someone here this evening who is still in that darkness. And how do we come out of the darkness? And how are we brought into the light? It is as we understand that the Spirit of God opens our eyes to the truth of the Gospel. And we see our own sin. And then we see the Saviour of sinners, Jesus Christ. And God's great call comes to us in the Gospel to leave our sin, to leave our wickedness, to turn away from our sin and repent of our sin and to cast ourselves as lost guilty sinners upon Jesus Christ who has died for sinners on the cross and been raised again for our justification. But it is the great ray of light that shines into the darkness. And Paul can say to the Colossians, he's taken you out of the kingdom of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of the Son of his love, Jesus Christ. Let a passage like this Make you aware that the only reason you are not like Ahaziah is because of God's distinguishing love toward you in Christ. It's his grace it is his power that has snatched you out of the kingdom of darkness. I want to say to you again and remind you again that salvation from sin, from the wickedness of our own hearts, from the guilt of our sin, is entirely the work of God's grace and it is entirely the work of his power. Whatever your understanding and experience may be, and sometimes when we are first converted to Jesus Christ, we do not understand everything that has happened to us. We may think that we were the ones who chose to come to Christ. Well, of course we chose Christ. But why did we choose Christ? We chose Christ because God had worked in our hearts and changed us and made us want to have Christ as our Saviour. But the initiative did not come with us. It did not begin with us. We were damned we needed to be born again of the Spirit of God. As John tells us in John chapter 3, when Jesus confronts Nicodemus, you cannot even see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus, until you are born from above, born again, born of the Spirit of God. Salvation is of the Lord through and through. And therefore, if you are still in your sin, all you can do And what you must do is cast yourself utterly and completely upon Jesus Christ and plead with him for mercy. And he is a gracious and a merciful saviour. He saves sinners. That's why he came into this world. When we come to the Lord's Supper, that is what we are confessing. We are sinners. But this bread and this wine signify to us The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blood that he shed on the cross. That's why we come to remember him in that way. There's a second thing to say before I close and that is this. And this is the last thing. We not only admire and appreciate the distinguishing love of God. But we should also admire the faithfulness of God in his promises regarding salvation. Jehoshaphat proved to be unfaithful in that area. You could not entirely rely upon this man. He almost was responsible by entering into that peace treaty with Ahab. He was almost responsible for wiping out the entire godly line by his folly. The light almost went out, but it did not go out. Why did it not go out? Sole reason? God's faithfulness to his promise. God did not abandon his promise to David. He said, David will have a lamp shining in Jerusalem. Alright, it was down to one young man, Joash. But God kept his promise. The thread was very narrow and very small. But that man was the lamp. And God in his faithfulness did not abandon his promise. Later on in Isaiah we read that a rod will come from the stem of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. And it's a prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a descendant of Abraham and of David. And God has remained faithful to his promise. And has raised up for us a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. Born of the tribe of Judah, of the house of David. And when you read in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 1 and then you realise that that is being fulfilled in our Lord's earthly ministry when he comes and preaches the gospel in Galilee. Yes, it is Galilee of the Gentiles. But what is this Galilee of the Gentiles? It's the northern kingdom. The old northern kingdom. It's not Jerusalem. It's the old northern kingdom where the light has gone out. And yet the light shines brightly even in Galilee of the Gentiles according to prophecy. And Matthew 4 tells us that word was fulfilled when Jesus came and preached. The light shone upon those who were sitting in darkness. The shadow of death was upon them, but the light came and salvation was brought to the Galilee of the Gentiles. That is where the, many of the disciples came from, they were fishermen. Peter, James, John, the others, from Galilee of the Gentiles. You remember how Isaiah says, A child is born, a son is given, it is Jesus Christ. And I want you to appreciate the faithfulness of God to His promises in sending Jesus Christ. What God has done for you in Christ So many modern ears don't want to hear anything about the wrath of God. They don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to hear about hell. They don't want to hear about the judgment of God. But that is part of the gospel because Christ saves us from that wrath, saves us from our sin, saves us from the judgment, saves us from hell. You see how much God hated sin. He sent his own son to die on the cross for us. But you also see how much God loves us. For that same one who died on the cross is made a curse for us. The father sent his son and did not withhold his son. He sent him to die. God commends his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. And where do we trace it back to? The faithfulness of God, to his promises. The radiance of God's glory has shone into your heart, giving you the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And as you reflect upon the distinguishing love of God in Christ, and as you reflect upon the faithfulness of God to his promises fulfilled in Christ our Savior, will that not draw you to Christ? Will that not draw you to God? Will that not draw you in such a way that you must give yourself more and more and more in zeal and joy and love to serve this Christ? And to serve this God who has set his love upon you in Christ and will never remove it from you? A God who bears even with your sins and your follies and sometimes your blind spots. He did not cast off Jehoshaphat. He recognised the good that was in him. Even though Jehoshaphat almost brought the nation into ruin, God did not abandon him. Did not abandon him. What if God took one of your acts of folly and held it out for everybody to see and judged you for it? Not only would you be ashamed... But you'll be lost. You'll be done for. But he doesn't do that. Jesus died. And died to save us. And to cleanse us from those foolish acts. From those unwise things that we have done. He washes us clean from every spot. From every stain. That's why we come. We come to eat and drink in remembrance of this Saviour. We come to express our faith and our love for Him who has loved us undeserving wretches that we are and continues to be our God and our Saviour. It's His distinguishing love. It's His great faithfulness. That's the only reason you will be here at this table eating and drinking in remembrance of Him. Amen.